Thursday night before breakaway. He said something throughout our time with him that really, it really resonated with me. And it was this, the mission of God was verbal, it was urgent, and it was personal. Jesus is returning. And we would be foolish if we didn't take the mission of God serious. God loves his people. Whether they've been found and they're adopted sons and daughters of the king, or they're lost, God loves them. He treasures them. He values them. We have a purpose here at St. Houston. Praise God. He puts us to work. But tonight, we're back in our sermon series on the hard sayings of Jesus. And tonight, the saying that the hard saying that we have for tonight is found within Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. His most famous sermon is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he says this profound thing immediately after he taught on the Lord's Prayer. Are you ready? This is Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. He says this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I would be lost if I didn't have you with me, God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, you would fill this place, my heart, this room, and God, that you would be with us. God, I ask that this word would be from you, not from me. We love you, Jesus. There are some things that we're dealing with that need to be reconciled to God. Some things need to be laid down at your feet and given to you. And Lord Jesus, could we do that tonight? Help me, God. Amen. Amen. Let me read it again. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It means this. If you do not forgive others, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. That immediately, that's a very hard saying. It immediately creates this tension in my heart when I read it, and I'm sure you're feeling something as well. I have to forgive others when they trespass against me, or as some translations of the Bible put it, when they sin against me. That immediately sounds difficult, doesn't it? I can think of some things where I'm like, I don't know about that one. I instantly think of my friends, the people around me in my life right now who do things that annoy me. I'm not going to name them now. <laughs> but here's one thing that just, I don't know. I don't know how to do this, but have you ever known someone who chewed their food with their mouth open? I, I took a class a number of years ago, and the guy who sat next to me dropped his food within the class every day. And that's fine. That's not a big deal. Except he chewed up his mouth open the entire time. So while the teacher's talking about Middle Eastern history, this kid's smacking on spaghetti or pasta. And I'm just... Like, I don't know, wanted to yell at him, couldn't do it. But it's been, it's been a while. I think I can forgive that person. It's difficult, but I think I can do it. Or, I think of my old roommate Daniel, who one time decided to prank me and play the Baby Shark song on his speakers outside my door at 1 in the morning. He didn't fully realize I had to get up and out of bed for work at 5 that morning. So I was pretty angry. I was mad 
I don't remember what I said. I was so mad. I left my house and slept over at a friend's house. This was like eight years ago. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was finally able to forgive him. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. Daniel's one of my best friends. He's a missionary now. God has redeemed him from playing songs on his speakers. That's pranks. That is good. That's a good one. We're actually very close, and I miss him terribly. But I mean, sure, I can forgive somebody if they did something a while ago that wasn't that big of a deal or really didn't hurt my life. I can forgive them. Or maybe I see that they, they did something, and maybe now they're growing closer to Jesus. Now I can forgive them because they're cha- they changed, or at least they are changing. That might be possible for me to do. That might be something easy to do. But let me ask you this. What if someone really hurt you? What if they hurt you in a deep way? And you don't know how to forgive them. And we're going to talk about that more tonight. But how many times should I forgive somebody? How many times should I forgive my brother? How many times can I be hurt by somebody before I don't have to forgive them anymore? Peter, the wonderful disciple who opened his mouth all the time, wondered this as well. And Jesus actually gave him a number. Sort of. It's in a parable he taught in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And it's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. Let me start off with this. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now let me pause here for a moment. Some translations will say 77 times, and some say 70 times 7. Now maybe some Bible scholars just want to make it a little easier for themselves, so they said 77 instead of 70 times 7. Just kidding, that's a joke. But <laughs> it is a fun thing that happens when we translate Scripture from the Greek into English. It changes. But either way, it was a lot. It was more than 7. G. Campbell Morgan, one of my favorite authors, says this, How generous of Peter. Seven times? And Jesus comes to him and gives him something else. But real quick, what is 70 times seven? 490, good job. 490 times. That's a lot. I can forgive someone that many times. It's only at 491 that finally then I don't have to forgive them anymore. Almost every single source I went to, and I actually read on this quite a bit, agreed that the, to the audience hearing this, these were, 70 times 7, these were sacred, holy numbers being said. This was like 10 times 7, which are two, like, if you know each of the Hebrew people, that was more important. And Jesus took those two, put them together, times them, and then again times it by 7 again, just to make sure that God what he was saying. And that what Jesus intended, that what he meant was that this was a countless number. You would lose track before you come to the end. But you forgive your brother over and over and over and over and over. Again and again and again and again and again. I'm not going to do that 490 times. But that you would lose track. Your brother or your sister would hurt you and you could say, I forgive you again. And I forgive you again. And I forgive you again. And on and on and on and on. That we can forgive those around us constantly. 
which is actually one of our necessary components, a good, healthy Christian community, constant forgiveness. It's necessary. We need it. You need it in small groups, company groups, one day in your marriage relationship, with the church community around you, constant forgiveness. We need that here. Praise God. Well, let me continue reading that passage. This is Jesus speaking on this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Sounds like a lot. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down on his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told the master all that had been done. That his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you, from his heart, or her heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So my heavenly Father will do to you, if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What do you guys think of this story? Someone was forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents. We're not quite sure how much that was worth. This talents is, could be a weight in gold or silver. We're not quite sure, but we know it was worth a lot. Somewhere in the millions or perhaps even billions. It was a lot. And that debt is forgiven. And rather than be gracious and forgiving as well, he goes up to someone and imprisons him for who owed him what was worth maybe a few hundred dollars at best. It seems wrong, doesn't it? He's forgiven this massive amount. And yet he goes and he takes someone else who owes him very little and says, I won't have compassion. I won't have forgiveness on you. He's wicked to me. But this is what unforgiveness looks like in the kingdom of heaven. God has forgiven us. Who are we to not forgive those around us? And we know that Jesus is very clear on this. He repeats it often. And when we repeat something, we need to pay attention to it. We must forgive those who trespass against us, who sin against us, who hurt us. We can't be forgiven. I can't be forgiven by God and then harbor resentment or bitterness to anyone and refuse to forgive them. I have no right to do that. But we live in a world seemingly full of hurt. It's everywhere. It seems to be one of the realities of life that everyone can agree on, that there is a lot of pain and hurt in the world we live in. I just heard about a tragedy in Thailand earlier today. Lord Jesus, would you be with me? Winky Pratman, this wonderful New Zealand author, speaker, evangelist, man of God, has this essay titled Hurt and Bitterness. And I highly recommend you go read it. It's actually on our website. 
shu-xa.com under resources and forgiveness. Go read it sometimes, please. Please, please, please read it. But in this essay, this article, he writes of a 16-year-old boy who went to a park and he found an old man sitting on a park bench. And with his knife that he had, he began to stab him 130 times. The man passed away, of course. And when the police arrived, they asked him, who was this person to you? I don't know, was his reply. What did he do to you? Nothing. What did he say to you? Nothing. You just went up to a random stranger and did this? Why? Do you really want to know? He responded. It's because I got an older brother. And he's really smart. And he's a great athlete. And he's good looking. And he's talented. He's everything I'm not. My mother keeps on saying, why can't you be famous like your older brother? And I know there's no way that I'll ever be famous by being talented or smart or anything else. I just figured I can't be famous that way. I'll be famous some other way. So I thought the worst possible thing I could do, and I went out and did it. At least my mother will remember me now. Hurt, pain, suffering, it's a major problem in our world today. Hurt is everywhere. Christians and non-Christians are hurt in life. We all deal with it. Everyone seems to understand hurt and pain because they've been hurt. We understand it. And it's many seem to continue hurting others. A nation against nation, a people group against another people group, friends against friends, parents with their children. Hurt is found everywhere. Even in the same family where love and compassion should be the thing that's prevalent. Instead, there's pain, hurt, suffering. And it's due to this. Well, it's not good with this. But in fact, the closer you are to someone, the more susceptible you are to be hurt by them. We say this, grief is proportional to intimacy. Meaning this, that the closer you are to someone, the more vulnerable you are to be hurt by them. That when I live in proximity with somebody, when I live life with them, I open myself up to being hurt by them. Imagine this, if a stranger comes up to me on campus and tells me, I hate you, and I think you're absolutely worthless. It's probably going to hurt my feelings a little bit. I might, it might hurt my feelings. But I'm going to be able to move on with my day rather quickly. I might even laugh it off shortly afterwards. Like, that was weird. <laughs> but what if my wife comes up to me and says the same thing? Trevor, I hate you. And I think you're absolutely worthless. It takes on a whole new meaning when it comes to someone you love. Thankfully, she would never do that. But grief, grief is proportional to intimacy. When we're close to somebody, when we're intimate with somebody, we open ourselves up to being hurt by them. That's why so many kids seem to have hurt in their hearts as a result of their moms or dads who showed little love to them or even worse. But how do people respond when they're hurt? Winky has this chart, this wonderful chart of hurt and bitterness that I have a slide for. Not quite. There you go. Hurt leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to rebellion. Rebellion leads to deception. 
deception leads to more hurt. You see, a person can get hurt so badly they try to cut themselves off from feeling altogether. They get hard and cynical, they withdraw themselves so that they won't be hurt again. They hold on to the hurt and don't confront and forgive the person who hurt them. That brings on bitterness. And when we hold on to bitterness, it leads to rebellion against that person and against God. This is where we start having negative thoughts about them, talking about them to others, which is sinful, meaning we rebel against God. And the rebellion leads to deception, which is pretending everything's okay when we're not. It's being passive-aggressive, hurting others when we can. And this, this only leads to more hurt, because nothing is resolved and can only cause more problems. You can lash out at other people and fixate on this until it becomes, until it consumes you. Hurt leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to rebellion. Rebellion leads to deception. Deception leads to more hurt. Hurt people hurt people. When you're hurt, when you're wounded, you will hurt others around you. We hurt others when we're hurt. And when we stay hurt, we're only continuing this cycle, constantly going. And bitterness, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When you come to Jesus, God heals your heart and he takes the cynicism out of your life. And you can once again open your heart to others and love again. Now, Christians get hurt. Christians, it's not like becoming a Christian means you're saved from being hurt. But Jesus gives us a way to deal with it. He was hurt. And it's not wrong to be hurt, but it's the way we deal with the hurt that makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Being hurt is a big enough problem in itself, but if that hurt is not handled in the right way, bitterness will set in. And then is bitterness, not being hurt, that will destroy you. Have any of y'all enjoyed kayaking like I do? I like doing it around here. I've never actually done it on white water with rapids and stuff like that, a bunny rafting of that sort. But the one thing I've always heard is that when you're going and you come to a point where in the middle of the river there's a rock and you have to choose whether to go left or right, if you sit there and fixate on the problem, you're going to run into it. You literally have to look to where you want to go and go in that direction. You continue looking at the thing. Don't hit it. Don't hit it. Don't hit it. You're going to hit it. That's the same thing as the idea that the person you resent and are bitter towards is actually the person you're destined to become like. If sometimes you don't, have, you don't do the same things, but you have the same attitudes, the same spirit, the exactly same outlook on the person you hate the most. If you fixate on this person, I refuse to be like my dad. He was an alcoholic. He beat me. He did this. If you fixate on that, eventually, you might one day become that. It's why abuse happens in this endless cycle on and on and on until it's finally broken. It's why alcoholics that are, have, are people that are growing up with parents who are alcoholics often become alcoholics themselves. Mm-hmm. Because you're fixated on that person. You're always thinking about them. And you will inevitably become more and more like those things you focus your attention on. So that's why our eyes can be on Jesus and not on the people who hurt us. I want to look like Jesus, not the people who hurt me. Have you ever noticed someone who's bitter? Someone who's defined by their bitterness. I'm talking about he or she's bitter. Like, they never seem to be grateful for anything. There's never gratitude. Or the opposite. Have you ever met a grateful person that was bitter? No. It's because these two things, gratefulness and bitterness, do not coexist. I can't be a bitter man and be grateful in life. Just like I can't be a grateful man and be bitter. These two things are two opposite things. When we say this, gratefulness keeps us close to God. Whereas ingratitude, 
is keeping us, is going to keep us away from God, and it's going to further lead to bitterness in life. Now, Winky says this about bitterness and forgiveness. He says it's so much better than I could. The thing that causes hurt to develop into bitterness is failing to respond to the help God can give at the time of being hurt. To forgive someone doesn't mean pretending you're not hurt. That isn't Christianity. That's insanity. You need to be honest with yourself and admit that you've really been hurt. We need to be honest where we've been hurt and not allow it to turn into bitterness. Just bury it. And just pretend it didn't happen. And I said earlier I'd come back to this, but what if someone has really hurt you? Not a small petty thing, like their roommate didn't do the dishes again, or they parked in your parking spot. But I mean, what if someone really hurt you in a deep way, and you don't know how to forgive them? And I know it isn't easy. It can be very, very difficult. But thankfully we have a God who meets us where we're at, and He will help us. And we will be honest with them and tell them, God, I, I see what you're saying and I want, I want to live it out. He'll be faithful and he'll meet you where you're at. I think of my own story and my own need to forgive. You see, my father, had decided, he decided to leave my mom while she was pregnant with me. He wanted nothing to do with us. He left. He was gone. The pain from that alone isn't something to walk through with Jesus. But I'm confident that I'm better off without him. It did, however, leave room for my mom to get married to a man named Randy. At first, Randy was a very kind man to my mom, to my older brother and I. Me and my mom had four children together, and I'm grateful to God and to my mom and Randy for my four younger siblings. My mom's done a good job of not letting us know who her favorite is, even though I know deep down it's me. <laughs> but with Randy, it was very clear who he loved and who he didn't. His affection for his four children with my mom was much different than with my older brother and myself. And I do believe he did his best to raise us. But if he was mad, if he was frustrated, we were the targets of it. There was one time that was vivid in my mind, and I remember it very clearly, but it's when I accidentally tripped one of my little brothers, and he's crying and screaming, and Randy goes, he thought I did it on purpose. He grabbed me by my throat and picked me up and held me on the wall and choked me. He's staring me in the face. How dare you do that? And there were many moments like this that occurred. But this time, I remember I felt innocent and so misunderstood. I was, and over time, his alcoholism began to rule his life. And he would go in and out of jobs. We were poor. Life was miserable. And I can remember as a seven or eight year old wishing he would die in a car accident on the way home from work. I hated him. I was hurt. My mom was hurt. My older brother was hurt. I saw the mess of life that we were in. And I hated him. But my mom finally had enough. And she filed for divorce. And it was painful and messy. And yet, as terrible as divorce is, I believe it was one of the things that helped our family. I went to years of counseling. And those were good. But it was while conversing with God but I actually came to a point where I knew I needed to forgive Randy. It was very clear, very obvious. It was actually my junior year here at Sam Houston, my first year as a high office small group leader. I had been leading people to Jesus. I had been talking about forgiveness and the hurt and bitterness cycle that week he goes over. And I knew I actually had something in my heart that needed to be dealt with. And I remember just, it took time. 
took lots of time of prayer, meeting with God at the altar here at Kyle, but coming to the front and praying, asking God, Lord, would you give me the ability to forgive this man? I hate him. I need your help. It took, it took a long time. But then my junior year, I ended in a spring semester, I called Randy, told him that God loved him, and I loved him, and I forgave him. Some things in my heart came, became free. To be clear, it wasn't an invitation for me to be my dad again, but I said what I needed to say. I don't even know if he remembered it the next day. I'm sure he was drunk whenever I called him. But five years ago, he died in his pain and depression. But I knew I had really forgiven him and said what I needed to say. I was surprised at the sense of peace that came over me when I found out his death happened. It was like I couldn't believe it. The peace of God was better than I could ever imagine. And even though my family is still walking through their own grief and pain, I have been able to minister to them and love them and just push them closer to Jesus. You know in those movies when like someone passes away and the guy goes to the graveside at the end of the movie and he's just built up with anger and he's got to say all this stuff to the graveside because he hasn't said it before? I... I'm telling you, I said what I needed to say, and there was a peace that passed my understanding. And it's because, like, while my family started walking through the grief, I knew I had actually forgiven him. And I could trust Jesus to lead me to a future that's very different from my past. Now, there's still moments of pain and hurt that come up at odd moments. But this is a thing I continually go to Jesus with and ask him to redeem my mind and my soul and heal my pain. My forgiving Randy may not have meant anything to him, but it meant everything to me. Yeah. My walk with Jesus was better because of it. Now, one thing that will help us forgive and even let go of bitterness is to know that God knows what it's like to be deeply, deeply hurt. Yeah. And yet he's never responded in bitterness or resentment. Yeah. You realize God's the highest being in the whole universe. He created everything in every single one of you. It's precious in his eyes. And he's able to be closer and more intimate with each and every single one of you that we can even realize. Now remember, grief is proportional to intimacy. Grief is proportional to intimacy. When we hurt God, we have the power to hurt him more deeply than we could possibly hurt anyone else. Mm-hmm. And when he sees his children, whom he loves, hurting and destroying one another, it's no wonder the Bible says his, his heart has been grieved. He's a God who feels our pain with us. We have a God who loves us, who's with us. He died for us so that we can live forever in relationship with Him. He did what was necessary for our redemption, and He forgives us for sin and selfishness that we have allowed to rule our lives before Him. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus. God is the highest being in the universe and has forgiven us a tremendous amount when we come into a relationship with Him. Like the massive debt the unmerciful servant had, ours has been forgiven. My sin, my shame, my selfishness is forgiven in God's divine economy because of what Jesus did on our behalf. He do the same for you. He's already done it. He died in our place, allowing us to be friends with God again. God's love and mercy and justice were satisfied by Jesus going to the cross and dying and rising from the dead. And now he's with the Father.
praying on our behalf. Praying for each and every single one of you. Because he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. You're precious in his eyes. He loves us. He forgives us. But we have to repent to our sin and selfishness and let him be Lord of our lives. It means saying, I don't want to be God of my own life. I'm going to get off the throne of my heart and I'm going to let God have the place he deserves. Jesus needs to be Lord of my life. I'm sorry for my sin and I want to be made pure and clean as God would have me. I have to forgive those who hurt me. You have to. Forgiveness is part of it. And tonight you're going to have the opportunity to do all of that. To give your lives to Jesus if you like. To repent of sin. To ask. To, be, to forgive people. Or at least to begin that process. Now for those of us who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, this should produce in us an overwhelming sense of gratefulness and humility. I mean, I, when I was saved, I owed a massive debt that I can't even calculate. Like, I can't even fathom my sin and selfishness in God's eyes. And yet, Jesus paid it all on my behalf because he loved me. Now, who would I be now if I refuse to forgive those who have hurt me? God has forgiven me. How can I not forgive those who have hurt me? I'd be a hypocrite, though. It was like that. I'd be like that unmerciful servant. When God's forgiven me, I go and find my brother and say, How dare you not do the dishes again? Paul the Apostle understood this. I mean, he, he killed a lot of Christians. He was pretty awful. I don't know if y'all realize where Saul of Tarsus was and who he became, but he understood this concept that we have been forgiven and must forgive others. He mentions it in his letters often. Ephesians 4, 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Colossians 3.13. There it is. And Jesus also says this profound thing after a woman has washed his feet and anointed him. He says it's about this woman. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Which leads me to this. He that is forgiven much, loves much. And he who loves much, forgives much. He that is forgiven much, loves much. And he who loves much, forgives much. Love and forgiveness go hand in hand. Praise Jesus. Ari Tori says it like this. Love endures injury after injury, insult after insult, wrong after wrong, slander after slander. And still keeps right on loving and forgiving and forgiving. It wastes itself in vainly trying to help the unworthy and ungrateful. And still it loves on. That is the first mark of love. He that is forgiven much, loves much. And he who loves much, forgives much. And John, the Apostle Jesus, wrote this to further illustrate the point. In this is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the procreation, the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the procreation for our sins. We must love one another. We must forgive one another. 
Use a beautiful thought written by an Indian missionary, Sadhu Sundar Singh. If you're an essential oils enthusiast, then you'll really appreciate it. The true Christian is like sandalwood, which imparts its fragrance to the axe which cuts it without doing any harm in return. Maybe it's called sandalwood because Jesus was a carpenter and wore sandals. <laughs> Before you accuse me with that joke, that was my wife who made that one up. Oh, she's very proud of it. I was reading her the quote and she said it. And I had to say it. What I don't want to leave you with is this is that you should just let people hurt you or abuse you and just roll over and just let them keep going. They don't have a right to do that. Yeah. Or to get away with it. Or to get away with whatever they want. It's not a right they have. And when there is conflict, we want to deal with it biblically. We want to deal with it the right way. That means saying something directly to the person who hurt you. And if they refuse to change, then you bring a third person in to help. Hopefully, someone wise and mature. Maybe a small group leader or company leader. And then we can follow the pattern that the Bible has laid out for us in dealing with conflict. But it means not the fitting yourself in the moment, but it's doing it the right way. The way God intended we can also pray for that person, for their hearts to change. Maybe our hearts might need to change too. I don't know. Now in a couple of weeks, we already talked about this, but we're going to have Workplace Week. Get excited. We need to hear from Rick and Amber Stevens. They're incredible. Now I've met Rick a couple of times. Every time, he's been great to talk with. But Amber was on staff here when I was a student, and for my first few years here at Kyle she was an amazing leader for the women of Chi Alpha, for our staff, and she helped build a lot of the community we have here. She left a wonderful legacy behind her. Yeah. And she always, she always stressed this point, and it's that when we have been wronged, and someone comes to us to apologize, we shouldn't say, it's fine, don't worry about it. Don't just say, it's fine, don't worry about it. It's, instead, you say, yes, you hurt me, they hurt you, you can admit it. Yes, you hurt me. But I forgive you. And whenever you wrong somebody, don't make excuses. Don't go to them, oh, I only did it because you said this and you looked at me this way. Or, man, you have a hair like that. I don't know. Don't make excuses. But when you go to the person that you've wronged, you tell them you're sorry and you ask them to forgive you. I don't think we realize how powerful that is. I forgive you. Some of us need to hear that. And some of us need to say, I'm sorry. True repentance is recognizing where we mess up, and it's turning away from it. So when we see our sin, we hate our sin, and we forsake it. We say, never again will I let that back in my life. That's repentance before God. And there's some things we need to say sorry to God for. Tonight, you have a chance to do so. Worship, you can begin to head back up here. Now tonight, while worship is playing, I would ask you to take a moment and pray and ask God if there's anyone who's hurt you that you have been harboring some resentment or bitterness towards. And if he says, if he shows you somebody, if he speaks to you, and again, ask God to help you forgive that person, that man, that woman, that fellow student, your mom, your dad, whomever, then go ask your small group leader or a person you know who loves Jesus and ask them to pray with you through this.
Maybe you need to go talk to the person you've been upset with because they're here in the room. Maybe you need to call them. Ask God for wisdom and how to do that. Because there's some people we don't need to go talk to. We just know, we need to know that we can forgive them. I knew I needed to call Randy. I needed to do it, to seal that, to let it be done. You might, you might have to do that, you might not. But ask God for wisdom. He will speak to you. And then you will be faithful in whatever He tells you to do. I know some things are bigger than others. Some of you have been really, really hurt. And what I'm saying is difficult. So Trevor, you don't realize what I've been through. You have no idea what it's like to sin because of this. But we have a God who will meet us where we're at. And He will help us in this. And He gives us the power to not live in bitterness, but He gives us the power to live and forgive and to move past our pain and our sorrow. Say, I'm not going to let this thing control me. I'm going to go to Jesus. And I'm going to look to God and I'm going to say, God, I will follow you and seek after you all the days of my life. This might be a process for you. It might be like me coming to the altar week after week, praying, God, how do I do this? Help me to do this. And I think that's okay. As long as you'll be honest with God and tell Him where you're at. Sound good? Then there are those of us in the room, we've hurt people. And we need to go and apologize to them without excuses. And we need to go say, I'm sorry. You can even ask God to show you what you've done to hurt him. And you can apologize to him and repent of sin. Let him be Lord of your life. Maybe that's giving your life to him for the first time. Tonight. Say, Lord, be Lord of my life. Or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. Take a moment while worship playing and pray to God. Ask him, again, who you've wronged. And consider what you need to do. Or who's wrong you. Consider what you need to do. Remember to say that you're sorry. And don't make any excuses. Let me pray. In worship, you can do Lord Jesus, we love you. Father God, we lift you, I lift you up on high, Lord Jesus. I give you glory, honor, and praise, Father. Holy Spirit, I ask that right now you would come into this room. You would begin to deal with people's hearts and minds. And Lord, just meet them where they're at, Father God. Love you, Lord Jesus. God, some of these things that we've been holding on to, God, I ask that we can lay them down at your feet and let them look to you and that you be Lord of our life. Not this thing, not this pain, not this hurt. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for you, God. Lord Jesus, would you make us the men and women who are grateful towards you, towards life, who can live new love much, forgive much, and not be bound by sin, or selfishness, or pain, or hurt, or unforgiveness. We love you, Jesus.